I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been in a series in the Heidelberg Catechism, and we've been up to the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words. And these commandments are given to God's people within the context of his covenant of grace. God establishes a relationship with his people by his grace and then calls them also by his grace to walk in his ways and to glorify him. And so we come to the fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother. And I thought we would reflect upon that commandment from 2 Timothy chapter 3, which will also be our text for our 1130 service. And so we're not going to say everything now, but I want to focus a, um, a bit on what Paul has to say to Timothy here. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, just the first five verses, it says the holy and inspired word of God. Paul says to the church, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. We'll end our reading of God's word there. We're going to turn to the back of our hymnals to the Catechism, Lord's Day 39, on page 891, which opens for us the fifth commandment. I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answer. So question 104. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. And also that I be patient with their failings, for by their hand God wills to rule us. So far from our catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come now to the second table of God's Ten Commandments. The first table dealt with loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the Catechism said that with those first four commandments, they were to guide us in how we ought to live in relationship to God. And now when we come to the second table, commandments 5 through 10, we're thinking about loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? Those are the two commandments that summarize God's law to, for his people. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We ought to know how we ought to live in relation to God, but then also we are to think about what we owe our neighbor, what we owe our neighbor. And that's what these five, commandments 5 through 10 express for us. And a couple of things to think about, at least three things to think about before we dive specifically into the fifth commandment here. First is that when we think, though the commandments can be divided into two tables, we ought not to separate them entirely. And in fact, in loving our neighbor, it begins with first loving our God. Loving God flows into loving our neighbor. And in fact, to simply hold to the first four commandments without the latter of the Ten Commandments um, will ultimately show dishonor not just to our neighbor, but to God. 
And we see this reflected even in the fifth commandment, because at the end of this commandment, as the catechism opens up for us, it says that we are to um, obey those in authority over us, beginning with our parents, for by their hand, God wills to rule us, right? These authorities are not just um, separate or isolated from God, but rather our obedience to these authorities reflects our obedience to God, for it's by God's hand that he wills to rule us according to, uh, to them. And so these two tables are related to one another. Uh, secondly, the catechism uses the language of owing, what we owe our neighbor. And that's an interesting word to think about. Our default way of thinking, especially in our fallen, sinful nature, is that people owe me. <laughs> right? I, I enter into a relationship, I, I, I engage with other people, and my, the question that I ask in, in my sinful state is, what do they owe me? And we often feel slighted, we also feel, often feel disrespected, we also feel, often feel dishonored, as if people owe us something. But God, when he saves us, turns and changes our mentality from thinking, what do people owe me, to what do I owe my neighbor? God has called us to love our neighbor, and therefore I have an obligation. I owe them honor. I owe them honesty. I owe them respect, as we're going to see in these commandments. And so the fifth commandment especially, we begin to see what we owe our neighbor. And think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? You had this man who was, uh, who was terribly beaten, lying on the side of the road, and you had various people walking by him. Now, they didn't hurt him. They didn't do anything to him necessarily, but they just walked by him. And for that, they were guilty because they owed this person who they saw in need what the Good Samaritan ultimately did for him. Right? So it's not a matter of just um, seeing something or not being the one to inflict damage, but rather it's a sense in which I actually owe my neighbor something because God has called me to love them as myself. To walk past those in need um, is, is um, far from the Christian's mindset, but rather as those who have been loved by God, we owe these things to our neighbor. And the last thing to think about before we dive into the fifth commandment more specifically is to ask the question, why does this commandment, the fifth commandment, um, head or is the first commandment for the second table? You shall honor your father and your mother. Well, Zacharias or Sinus, who had written, uh, was one of the principal writers of the Heidelberg Catechism, had said this, that this commandment is here that God might teach us how necessary obedience to this commandment is, insomuch as it is a preparation and a constraining, constraining motive of obedience to all the commandments which follow. In the same way, the first table of God's law begins with having no other gods before the one true God, and the other commandments flow from that, so too this recognition of honoring those in authority over us from it flows and prepares us for obedience to all the other commandments that come. So these are just some um, introductory remarks we think about the second table of God's law. But now more specifically, we want to dive into the fifth commandment. You shall honor your father and your mother. 
And the commandment, um, the catechism rather, rightly recognizes that this commandment comes to us not just in a very narrow sense where it only pertains to the home, children within the home obeying their father and their mother, but as it begins in the home, it extends through all of life. And in fact, the, the, the catechism recognizes that we are to show honor and love and faithfulness to all those whom God has appointed as authorities over us. And we see this reflected throughout the scriptures. In Ephesians 6, 5, slaves are to honor their masters, which you could, uh, in some sense, parallel that with employees and employers. Wives are to honor their husbands, Ephesians 5, 22. Uh, the church is to honor its leaders, Hebrews 13, verse 7. Younger men are to honor older men, 1 Peter 5, 5. And citizens are to honor their governing authorities. Romans 13, um, also 1 Peter 2, verse 17. It's the latter one that's often difficult uh, for us, and yet one that we are called to, to honor those in authority over us. Now, when we zoom in more about and think more about this commandment, um, there are things that are quite obvious to us, and the first is that we as a society, beginning with the home and moving out more broadly, have an authority problem. Uh, we are rebellious at heart, and more and more such, um, of a, such a lifestyle of rebellion against authority is not only sort of codified, but also praised and celebrated um, in the world around us. Um, at times, it's often simply thought that, especially children as they grow up, um, it's natural for them to rebel in their teenage years. It's natural for them uh, to disregard those in authority over them. And we often normalize the breaking of the fifth commandment as something that is just the ordinary affairs of life. We can often make excuses for uh, disobedience to it. Um, Kevin DeYoung uh, who we actually saw this past week, some of us at um, a talk that Carl Truman gave in the city, had said this in his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism. He says, it's not the right of American teenagers to break the fifth commandment, no matter what their friends or ho hormones tell them. Never before has our, culture, has our cultural ethos done more to allow for and encourage youthful immaturity. Kids are coddled and their preferences catered to in the home and in the society at large. Contrary to the fears of some, most households are less patriarchy and more kindergarten, which is an interesting word I think he coined. And so we might ask the question, well, where does this then come from, this rebellious mindset, this disobedience to our parents? And I found it very striking that Paul, as he's writing to Timothy about the last days, which are the days that have begun with the first coming of Christ and will conclude with his last coming, so the days in which we find ourselves in, Paul lists um, a number of sins that we might think as high crimes against God, uh, sins of great magnitude that seem um, very much to be um, worthy of condemnation, right? It says people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, right? These are high crimes but then in the midst of that list, Paul includes disobedience to their parents. And so what I want us to think about is um, this, um, this mindset of disobedience and this rebellion against God's commandment within the context of what Paul is talking about here. 
Firstly, that Paul is telling us that in the last days, there is a sort of cosmic pressure that is pulling us and pushing us toward disobedience. There is cosmic pressure in the last days. That disobedience to our parents is not merely something that is um, natural, but rather it is something that is pressed upon us. That the, the last days are days in which there is an active force at work in bringing about disobedience towards um, our parents, and by extension to those in authority over us. And it's important for us to recognize this point, and Paul wants us to see that so that, and as he ends this command, that we would avoid such people. The point here is that Paul is saying that we live in an environment, we live in, a, in, an, in an age that is marked by an active force that is moving us, if we are not rebelling against that spirit, is moving us towards disobedience to our parents. Disobedience to our parents is what defines partly these last days in which people are rebelling against God's authority which they have set over them. And so, therefore, Paul wants us to be aware of the fact that there, are, there is a great power moving us in that direction, a power that Paul is saying is greater than we in ourselves could resist. In fact, it is a power that left to ourselves we ultimately succumb to. It's a power like, imagine you're in an airplane, and hopefully you're not in this situation, but you're in an airplane, right? And if you were to exit that plane without a parachute, you have zero chance of defeating gravity, Right? I mean, you could try as hard as you want, but you don't have the strength in yourself to overcome the force of gravity that is pressing you down to the earth. Well, Paul is reminding the church that we operate, and children here should recognize that you live in a world in which the forces of these last days are pressing you toward disobedience to your parents pressing you to be rebellious against authority, pressing you towards these things, so that in yourself you do not have the strength to overcome such force. There is a pressure in the cosmos because of sin to move in this direction. Now, the pressure of the cosmos, Paul is going to say, as our second point here, is only overcome by the power of Christ. The pressure of the cosmos towards disobedience to our parents, to rebelling against authority, is only ultimately overcome by the power of Christ. Thank you. (laughs) So in the last days, right, Paul is saying that we live in these last days in which this power is at work, but notice what he says in verse 12. He says later, we we haven't read this verse, but notice what it says. Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, there's more going on here, but Paul is saying that those living in the last days also can live in Christ. And those who live a godly life in Christ are able then, by the power of Christ, to rebel against the spirit of the age, to rebel against the pressure in the cosmos that presses us towards disobedience, and instead a godly life in Christ looks like then one of walking in the resurrection power of Christ 
And the resurrection power of Christ is what we need to now live as those who submit ourselves to the authority that God has set over us, beginning in the home with our parents and then moving out by extension. You know, we can often think about the resurrection power of Christ as causing us to do supernatural things and wanting us to do those, you know, things that are out of the ordinary. But Paul is showing us that the resurrection power of Christ is what enables you to, to walk in obedience to God's commandments, and specifically the fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother. So that in Christ, by the power of his spirit at work in us, we are then called and are enabled to walk in obedience to the fifth commandment. And so what does that look like? Well, the catechism draws out three things. First, that I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. You owe those in authority over you honor, love, and faithfulness. These are not things that they must um, earn from you. But by default, as God has called you, you owe such things to those in authority over you. Secondly, you are to submit yourself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and their discipline, right? So um, children, as your parents teach you, right, they provide you with things, listen. And the book of Proverbs often reminds us that we are called to honor and respect and to learn from the good instruction that our parents give to us. But that we might be built up, that we might be strengthened, that we might live a life pleasing to the Lord. But not only do we submit ourselves to their good teaching, but also to their discipline, to recognize that God has put those over us to correct us, parents over children, to discipline them that as they go astray, they might be then corrected to go down the right path. Both good teaching and discipline we are to submit ourselves to. Thirdly, I am to be patient with their failings, right? God has desired and God has said it that these people would rule over us. He has not set perfect people over us. He has not set infallible people over us. And therefore, when we recognize failings and shortcomings in those in authority over us, it is not an immediate excuse to rebel. Right? To recognize a shortcoming or a failure in a parent, in a government official, or so on, is not an excuse to throw out the fifth commandment, but rather it's a calling to be patient and to endure. God blesses patience rather than rebellion. If I become aware of failures and shortcomings of those in authority, it does not give me license to rebel against them, but rather to be patient with them. Now, that's not an absolute commandment, right? Because God's word also reminds us that insofar as those in authority over us require of us something that belongs to God, then God's word says we ought to obey God rather than man. So it's not an absolute authority over us. But we are to, with wisdom, recognize where we are to be patient, especially where the failings of those in authority over us do not lead us to sin against God and do not require of us something that belongs to God. 
Insofar as they don't, then we ought to be patient with their failings. But where Caesar demands what belongs to God, even where our parents may require of us not to honor the Lord in our lives, it's there that God's word gives us uh, and calls us to obey God rather than, by, uh, rather than man. And so in Christ, we are then called by the power of Christ to show honor, to submit ourselves in proper obedience, and to be patient with the failings of those who are in authority over us. And the reason that God gives us for this is that, as the Catechism says, by their hand, God wills to rule us, right? And so this gives us, just to come to a conclusion here, both a warning and an encouragement. A warning because to rebel against the authorities that God wills to rule us by is ultimately to rebel against God himself. To rebel against our parents is to rebel against God. Uh, To rebel against our employer is to rebel against God. To rebel against our teacher or our pastor is to rebel against God. To rebel against the president or governing authorities in any capacity is to rebel against God. And therefore, it's a warning to us to submit ourselves properly as God's people to those whom God desires to rule over us. And again, as we qualified that before, when those authorities require of us something that belongs to God, it's there that God does call us to obey him rather than to obey man. And so it's a warning, but also it's a great encouragement to us because we know that God never does anything toward us and, and for us for our, for our harm or to hurt us, but rather God does everything for his people for our good. And so if it is God's will to rule over us by such people, then we receive that as something good from God. Imagine growing up with no authority. Imagine growing up with none to teach me in the ways that I ought to go and none to correct me when I go astray. It would be a world of pure chaos. It would be a society that could not operate. It would be um, one in which we are constantly running into heartache and pain and to disaster. But God, by his goodwill, has given us such authorities that we might then benefit from that. And so when we think about authority, right, the natural mindset today, because of the pressure of the last days, is to rebel against it. I want to be my own person. I want to do my own thing. Nobody can tell me what to do. But in Christ, we're saved from such disastrous living. We're called then to submit to those in authority over us. And I understand that that's difficult. Um, As those in authority, you ought to make it easy on those under your authority to listen to your instruction, to receive your correction, right? There's a responsibility on those in authority as well. But, insofar as God has called us, whether hard or easy, whether with much joy or difficulty and force, um, we are to honor those whom God has put over us. And in so doing, we recognize that God is the one who rules over us as his people. And so let us then, as God's people, in these last days in which we find ourselves in, In these last days in which there is disobedience to parents, 
Let us instead live a godly life in Christ Jesus by the power of his spirit. And let us then submit ourselves to our parents in showing honor to them and to all those whom God has put over us as our authorities. The Christian religion is not meant to be a sort of means to an end of rebellion. Um, Often it becomes that. But rather, it's meant to be a bomb. It's meant to be um, uh, salt and light in this world in which as Christians we show what the order in which God has created his world according to, how it leads to to life and how it leads to thriving. It's why uh, God gives that commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother with a promise that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It comes with a promise. And so let us then be salt and light as we submit ourselves and show honor to those whom God has placed over us as we honor God our King. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that you are indeed our Father and the one to whom we owe uh, honor and respect. But we thank you that you are, uh, are, as our Father, good, and you make us and give us every reason uh, to honor and, and glorify you. Father, we pray that we would then, in, this, in these last days, live godly lives in Christ Jesus, and that we might walk in his resurrection power as those who can resist uh, the pull of this world, the currents that draw us and bring us toward disobedience to those in authority over us. And instead, in Christ, we might show honor uh, to those to whom honor is due. In these ways, may we show that we belong to you and that we are grateful for what you have done for us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.